Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less gosh darn ukulele. Yeah, well, we'll fix that one of these days. You keep threatening, and yeah. you have not done it so far, so <laughs> All right, It's coming. Uh, on this episode, we're right around the corner from the American Homebrewers Association's Learn to Homebrew Day, what used to be called the Teach a Friend to Homebrew Day. But it's a national day where everybody gets together and, well, you know, you go find somebody who may or may not know how to brew and uh, teach them something. So there are a couple of different approaches to this, but we wanted to really cover how do you do a brew day lesson type of a thing and make it, well, fun and interesting. So sit back. We're about to have a party. But first, a word from our sponsors. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at BrewersPublications.com. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Naturally, we have to kind of start talking about a party. And, you know, I think one of the most important things is party, just like real estate, is location, location, location. And there are really, I think, two places that you can do an event like Learn to Homebrew Day or a club brew or big brew day or, well, hey, everybody, I'm thinking about brewing. Come on over day. And so you get two choices. To my mind, you either are doing this at home, which is one of my favorite ways to do it, or you're going to do it in a public space, like say at a local homebrew shop or a local brewery. And both of those kind of, they engender some different approaches that you can take. So I'm just going to start with the doing it at home aspect, because that's really what I like to do. Because to me, I think when you have people over to your house, one of the fundamental things that you get out of homebrewing over at somebody's house, as opposed to say, you know, going to a homebrew shop is, well, 
that's how they brew at home. So in my club, every year we do one or two days out of the year where we do the brew with a falcon is what we call it. Senior members of the club volunteer their houses. They open up their houses to, say, five to 20 people, depending upon how crazy they are. And people come by their house and actually sit down and brew with them, and it turns into a bit of a party. To me, I think that's very cool and very important because, well, you get to see what you're actually doing at home. I feel very strongly like the second that you sort of set up a mobile rig and take it over to a homebrew shop uh, parking lot and start brewing there – things are naturally going to change. You're not going to do it the exact same way that you always do your beers. Having said that, one of the most intimidating factors about having it at your home is, well, people have to come to your home. So that leads <laughs> us to the second aspect. Denny, you want to take this one? When I started doing Learn to Homebrew Day for our club, uh, we used to do it at my place. Uh, and we kind of, after four or five years, decided that was kind of counterproductive for a couple reasons. Number one, you don't want to just focus on your club. Those guys already know how to brew. And so what you want to do is draw new people in. And a lot of people, if they don't know you, have kind of qualms about coming to your home to do this. Not to mention the qualms you might have about having strangers uh, show up at your place and start drinking beer and God knows what else, maybe doing hula dances like Drew. So what we finally did was we started partnering with local breweries and brew pubs and doing it there. And that's what we're going to be doing this year. Drew is right. You don't brew exactly like you do at home, but this is more to introduce people into brewing than to give them exact lessons in how to brew. So it, it to us, it doesn't really matter that we're not doing it exactly how we do it at home because we're still showing Showing people what brewing is all about. All right. And if you're going to brew in public, I think there are a couple of kind of important things that you can do, you know, talking about like, you know, well, how do you get people there? Yeah, right. And what we do is we put out press releases to uh, all the local uh, newspapers, TV stations, radio stations, stuff like that to try and get a lot of publicity. We have posters printed up that we put around in bars and bottle shops, pubs, the uh, the homebrew stores, stuff like that. But remember, what you don't want to do is just preach to the choir, right? If you just put this out among the homebrewing community, you're going to be drawing people who are already brewing. And the whole idea of Learn to Homebrew Day is to bring new people into the hobby. So really think about the outreach part of it. Yeah, well, and I would also argue, though, that even if you are reaching out to people who are already nominally homebrewers, particularly if you're in a club situation, I think one of the useful aspects of some of those, these events is giving people a chance to hang out. And that allows newer members who may not be super experienced brewers or even moderately experienced brewers, but that gives new club members a chance to actually sort of learn their club's dynamics and learn the people and actually kind of meet them, you know, over a beer. So I wouldn't completely discount the value of having uh, some club focus there. Oh, no, not, not at all. But, uh, you know, again, if it's a club, it can be done a lot of different times. So don't, don't make it just an in-group club kind of thing, I guess is what I'm getting at. There you go. That's fair enough. Getting the word out is uh, phase one. Phase two, well, you kind of devise a plan of attack. You got to have your, your poop together, shall we say. <laughs> 
Yeah. And the way, the way that our club works it is that, uh, we have the brewers show up around nine o'clock in the morning with the intention of being mashed in by 11 or so when the brew pubs open and people start showing up. Uh, we shoot for being done by three or four so that number one, we're not imposing on our host brew pubs too much and interfering with their business, even though this does bring in extra business for them. Plus, you know, all of our brewers are, are volunteers. So we don't want to have to have them just hanging around. We want them to do their brew, to talk to people and then sit down and relax and enjoy themselves. Right. And so you get your timing set up and a lot of a lot of clubs that do this where they have multiple uh, events going on in one single brew session, you know, they'll actually do things like stagger, you know, the start times for different brewers, particularly if they have brewers doing like, hey, that's my all grain. Here's an extract batch. Here's a brew in a bag batch, et cetera. They'll stagger the start times by, say, 30 minutes so that people get to chilling stages at different times so that there's not a giant fight for one cold water hose at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we attempt to do that, but we find that kind of the staggering happens naturally, uh, one way or another. Uh, also, we make sure that uh, they give us one main water line and one main electrical line, and then we make sure that we have plenty of splitters and uh, cube taps and stuff like that so that uh, we can take care of all of our own needs. Uh, our, this time of year, it, there's a good chance it's going to be raining. So the brewers come equipped with canopies. And we also uh, invite uh, our two local homebrew shops to set up there and show their wares and talk to people so that uh, people coming to see what brewing is all about get an idea of what they're going to need to do it. Now, to me, I also consider no matter what, I mean, that's all the stuff that you need to do if you have this, you know, out in the public and you got you're away from home. And you're getting people there. But to me, I think no matter what you're doing, if you're at home or if you're away, you know, one of the things that you have to do is you got to get a recipe together. Oh, right? indeed. 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 And I think one of the biggest attractions about homebrewing is the ability to make it yours. If you have a group of known people who are coming together, so like take my situation where I'm doing Brew of the Falcon or take any situation where you have a bunch of club members coming together along with the public, actually take the people who are going to be doing the brewing or who like are going to be attending the lesson that you know ahead of time. And I would argue that you want to give them a chance to, you know, offer their input. Hey, I want to do a pale ale or, you know, I really like this, this one hop thing. Can we, can we try that? Give, give the people who are going to be, you know, either doing the work or going to, that you know are going to be attending to learn, you know, a chance to actually offer some input. That's not a bad idea. We kind of leave that up to the brewers, but we do make sure that we have one person doing an extract batch. And then we have a, a variety of different equipment setups. We have, uh, you know, maybe like a person who's using a, a cooler setup, maybe a person doing a brew in the bag, uh, somebody using a grandfather or zymatic. So we, we try and cover a wide range of, uh, of styles of beer and equipment. And then at each brewing station, we put up a sign uh, letting people know what's being brewed, the style of the beer, uh, the style of the brewing process itself. Everybody in our club is wearing name tags so that as people come and walk around looking at these different things, they can find somebody who's got a, a name tag on that says, uh, ask me about brewing your own beer. They can ask that person. Imagine that. Yeah. And I would actually argue that if 
if you're having the event at home, name tags are still very useful because even though you may not have the you know John Q public coming in, not everybody who's in your circle or everybody who's coming over your house is necessarily going to know everybody else. So name tags are still a good plan. Oh, I agree completely, man. Uh, we have so many new members in our club. I can't keep up and the, this event is one of the places I can actually learn people's names finally. Yeah. Well, and I would also say going back to the recipe and, you know, coming up with a plan of attack, you know, just like how you said, you know, have your brewing stations labeled so that people can tell what's going on there. Right. I would also say give people a recipe sheet. You know, if you've determined the recipe ahead of time, you know, make sure that you actually have printouts of what that recipe is so that people can, you know, have it to look at. They can have a place to take notes, et cetera, so that they have some takeaway for the day that they can then look back and remember exactly what was going on. Yeah, it's a good idea. Next part of, you know, sort of your plan of attack, I would also say that you need to consider the goals of the event and the people that are going to be there. So to my mind, goal number one of any of these sorts of public brew event days have fun. Goal two, make some beer. Goal three, have fun. Yeah, man. I would say that you have those in exactly the right order. I would also say when you're looking at the brew day, consider what's the point of the brew day. So if you're out in public, the point of the brew day is to entice people by brewing, showing them the magic that is taking malted barley and turning it into your own beer. But you also need to stop and think, okay, is this a brew day where I'm just brewing and having fun and showing people what I'm doing? Or is there also a lesson that I'm trying to teach others? You know, is there kind of a, an educational component to this? So with our Brew the Falcons event that we do on the Falcons, one of the asks of any of the sites that are hosting is, hey, add an educational component to it. Come up with one lesson that you want to teach. So for instance, I might teach you how to pressure can starter wort or how to make a mead with your leftover HLT water, or, you know, we've had other people do, here's how you build an electric brew rig, that sort of thing. So consider that as an additional component to your day. What do you think? Yeah. I'm, I mean, and that's, that's great, especially if you are catering to people who already are into brewing. Uh, that's really not our focus. So we don't do so much of that. Well, I still think you should, even if you are doing it to the public, because you're going to, it's enticing. But now there's a, there is a corollary in opposition to that, which is, and I think this ties directly into what you're doing with the public. We have to remember that if you're the sort of person who's going to be hosting a brew day, you are a beer obsessive. You know this. Right. Oh, yeah. Embrace it. Yeah. Odds are pretty good that you're also a nerd. Embrace that too. <laughs> the important thing to realize, not everybody else is a nerd. And there's a lot of information that you have out there about brewing. And right now, because you are a nerd, it's all crammed into your head. Big warning, even though I just said, yeah, hey, have an educational component in mind, don't fire hose people with all the information that's in your head. Absolutely. Keep it, keep it general is what we've found. Uh, people don't need to learn specifics. They're not there to learn to brew that day. They're there to see if brewing is for them. So what you need to do is show them the, the fun side, not the technical detail, nitpicky oriented side that we all know that we have. Yeah, I, I will guarantee you that if you sit there and particularly with the, the public, start talking about yeast starters and replication and vitality and lodo and enzymes versus infusion, yeah. you will watch people go, no, bye. Thank you. Exactly. I'm going to go home and learn to knit instead. Pearl one, pearl three. <laughs> <laughs> Again, though, 
if you are dealing with a more advanced crowd, which is perfectly fine, it's perfectly good to start, you know, kind of opening up some of the fire hose, but remember still keep focused. You know, if you have one of these lessons in mind, like something that you're going to try and educate people on, don't get too distracted and try and do too much at once unless you're insane like I am. <laughs> but keep everything focused. And that's a big joke because when I do Brew of the Falcon, I try to do as many batches of simultaneous beer that I can at once. It's a stunt, I don't know, or it's maybe just trying to cram as much into one brew day as I can while I have a hands on deck to help me. Yeah, right. Last piece about the goals and the people, no matter their level, if you have people who are actually going to be hanging with you all day, you know, it's not one of these situations where people are you know, wafting in and wafting out diaphanously on the breeze, give them a job. It doesn't have to be a hard job. Just give them a job. Give them something to do. Particularly, you know, if you have one of these group sessions where people are going to hang, giving somebody a job makes them feel useful and it makes them feel like they are actually part of the brew. That could be as simple as, here, I need help with weighing out the grains, weighing out the hops, help me crush the grains, yeah, help me, well, <laughs> let's face it, the real reason to have people around your brew rig Help me clean up the mash tun. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, too. <laughs> Any other jobs that you think that people should have or that they're good to offer? Uh, go get me a beer. That works. Yeah, right. No, I, you know, I think, uh, I think that that pretty much covers it. Now, I think one of the other important aspects when you're hosting one of these brew days, and again, this goes if you're in public or if you're at home, you should have a co-brewer. Make your brew day a, an actual team brewing day where there's you. And then you have a chief cobra or chief co-conspirator, shall we say. And I have big reasons for believing this. One of, one of which is that at least when I do these brew sessions, I'm the host. People are asking me questions. They're, you know, constantly interacting with me. You kind of need to be warm, charming and engaged with your, your audience that you have there. And if you're doing that, that takes a hell of a lot of energy and a hell of a lot of focus and having a co-brewer will actually kind of help have somebody keep you on track and make sure that you can sit there and explain things to your guests or you know, to the people who are coming by while the brew is actually still happening. Now, I know, Denny, when you guys are doing it in public, you guys do something a little different. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people do come with someone else to brew. So that's, you know, kind of the automatic co-brewer. And then, like I was mentioning earlier, we have uh, various club members walking around with name badges on that say something like, ask me about making your own beer. So they can kind of like be floating co-brewers for all of the brewing stations. And really... As ambassadors, right? I mean, those are the people who should be engaged in so that while you're sitting there doing your thing, doing that magic, you know, they can actually, you know, sit there and intercept people to, you know, go, oh, look, you know, th that guy's doing electric or that guy's yeah, doing exa this. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like while you're checking your mash temperature, these people can be saying, look, right now he's checking his mash temperature to make sure that he gets the right amount of body and sweetness in his beer something like that, you know? Suddenly you turn into a zoological display, but that's okay. That's why you're in public. That's right, man. So you've devised your plan of attack. You've got your goal. This is perfect. Now, here's the other thing I'm going to advise. Prep as much as you possibly can ahead of time. Definitely. Yeah, you guys come into a, another location and you've got a relatively tight window because you want to avoid standing around and, and taking over the, the dinner hour at your brew pub. For me, I have this, uh, this other problem of, if I'm not pre-prepped, then the start of my day starts in sort of minor chaos as I'm running around hair on fire, and that just rolls into the rest of the day. Yeah, right. You know, and, and even though the places we brew like do things like provide us with water, 
that's going to be like chlorinated water, and you might not want to use that. So what I often will do is uh, draw my water at home ahead of time, add any kind of mineral additions to it that I'm going to need, put it in a, in a bucket with a lid on it or something like that, and go there with my water all set to go. Saves time, makes it nice and easy. Remember, especially if you're not at home, you want to have as smooth a brew day as possible. So planning ahead, thinking ahead, and getting stuff done ahead of time will really ensure that. I mean, you want to save some of the tasks, like ideally, if you can, at least, you know, if you're in a public situation, have at least one person crushing grain at some point so that people can see that part of the activity. But otherwise, get as much done as possible. And, and really importantly to me, that also means getting all the tedious cleaning crud <laughs> out of the way. Make sure your fermenters are clean. Make sure your mash tons clean. Make sure your boil kettle is clean. You know, don't do the uh, surprise open the mash tun. No, there's the mash from the last <laughs> oh, brew day man. that was two weeks ago. Yeah, right. You're not speaking from experience there, are you? No, at least my nose will never let me tell that. Get as much of the tedious cleaning stuff out of the way because, again, you want people to like this hobby. And you're going to have them around to do grains out anyway, so they're going to get some cleaning experience to start with. Prep your fermenters, prep your coolers, your chillers, whatever else you've got. Make sure everything is ready to go. And just leave kind of the easy stuff that you can do in flight to show people, oh, you know, here's here's part of a brew day. So, like, you know, leave the yeast nutrient, for instance, or leave, you know, whatever water salt additions that you're going to do for that period of time. So, you can show people doing that. You know, that, that stuff's easy. But get the tedious stuff done ahead of time because I think your day is just going to flow so much better. Yeah, and, you know, and again, I, I advocate for getting almost everything done ahead of time, including the water salts and all that stuff because, again, unless people are experienced brewers, they don't need to – see how the sausage is made okay kaiser <laughs> here's the other part remember we said that goal one of the brew day was to have fun goal two was to make some beer well an old brewer friend of mine once joked around and i think he's absolutely right that brewing is cramming two hours worth of work into eight hours of time so there's a lot of sort of downtime that can be involved in a brew day particularly if you're well prepped you know if you're ready to go i mean what are you doing while the mash is going I like to have other activities going on and other things for people to be doing. Now, the obvious one for a lot of people is beer because, hey, we're brewing. And so brewing means beer. My usual brew routine, and I, don't eat, and I know Denny has a usual brew routine as well, is I don't tend to have any beer during my brew days when I'm brewing by myself until I'm in the boil. I have all my fermenters cleaned, my coolers cleaned out, my chillers are ready to go. And pretty much I'm on the downhill slope of things, right? That's when I normally start drinking during a brew day. Denny, I believe what you don't normally start drinking with your brew day until everything's wrapped up, right? Yeah, right, man. Uh, because I am such a lazy person, I find that if I've been drinking before I try cleaning up and putting everything away, it just makes it that much harder for me. So I generally wait until it's all done. Yeah, see, see that example of uh, your mash done being left for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, that see that has never happened with me. I swear to God, because basically by the time I'm at the boil, I'm cleaning out my mash tun. But 
when I do one of these sessions brewing with other people, everything changes. Oftentimes the cleanup will get left till the next day. Um, drinking starts early. There's a, a famous story in my club about how I uh, set my pants on fire at one of these events because I was drinking. I just want to say right now, I did not set my pants on fire. I almost set my pants on fire. Liar, liar. <laughs> no, they didn't actually catch flame because somebody yelled at me just in the nick of time. So they just smoldered? <laughs> yeah, right. Just a little smoke was rising. Well, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right. When you're doing one of these brew days, things change because, I mean, hey, again, it's a party, right? This isn't just you being solitarily focused Zen monk-like. This is right. This is now a time to celebrate the art of brewing beer. So I don't know about you, but when I do one of these brew sessions, I at least try and get us into the mash first before we have a beer. I I try, but you know what? I just go with the flow and, and let it happen, man. Yeah. And I will also very, very strongly argue that yeah, you get brewers together or you get beardly adjacent people together. The next thing you know, special bottles, special releases all start appearing like, oh, look, this is my bourbon barrel barley wine. Please, for the love of all that is holy and beery and attempting to make beer, try and push those a little bit later in the day and keep something sessionable on hand, right? So I'll keep a Saison on hand. I'll keep a mild on hand. I'll actually have some session beer on tap because, look, let's face it, even when you're just kind of standing around, you want to have a beer in hand. If you have that sessionable option, then at least you have a smart choice to make. Yeah, that's right. That's not a bad idea. And believe me, I've been bitten too many times by doing it the other way around. Yeah, I think one of my last Brew of the Falcons days, we got down to the very end of the day. Everything was cleaned up and it was time to actually celebrate a successful brew day. And so I broke out a couple of years of Cigar City's Hunapu Imperial Stout. That was the perfect time for that. Right. So... Please, by all means, follow that. Now, corollary to that is also make sure that you have plenty of water on hand. Have more water on hand than you think you need because it's a thirsty job brewing. And if you keep just downing back the beers, it gets even wonkier. So have some water on hand. Now, attached to that is you are a brewer. And I know very few brewers who also don't know how to cook. So food is an important part of the brew day equation. In addition to having plenty of water and plenty of sessionable beer on hand, they have plenty of snacks and sort of other food opportunities for people to, to mound on to kind of keep the day going, whether that's finger foods or some of my favorite brew days have been with friends of mine who have smokers and they'll get up early. They'll start smoking ribs before the brew day starts. And at the end of the brew day, it's time for beer and ribs. That's pretty damn wonderful. Yeah, it sounds great. And when we used to do it at my house, uh, it was definitely a potluck kind of situation. I'd break out the barbecue grill. People would cook various things. Uh, nothing, nothing as organized as somebody actually doing ribs, but it was just great. Now that we're at brew pubs, uh, there are food trucks there, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we don't need to fix our own food, although a lot of the brewers do have little snacks at their station that they hand out to people, stuff like that. And uh, we also give each brewer like a 10 or $15 stipend that they can spend uh, 
to buy lunch from one of the food trucks and maybe grab themselves a beer. So that's uh, part of what we do with with our club is just budget that in so that uh, we're showing the brewers how much we appreciate them dragging all their stuff out and setting it up and talking to people. I mean, I think last year when I was in Fargo for the Hoppy Halloween competition that we talked about on last week's show, I ended up brewing down in a basement of a house with Vince and his wife uh, showed up with casseroles and, you know, all sorts of Midwestern goodies. That was kind of a nice day. So don't forget, food makes a makes a brew day. Also attached to that, you know, food and beer and water will only get you so far in terms of in terms of what you're going to do. I asked around and I asked other people what they do on these sort of communal brew days. And a big sort of spread of people were saying, you need to make sure you have some sort of games or entertainment. And so some people say, oh, you know, well, I, we sit down, we watch the football game and, and we enjoy sports. That's good. Just don't forget that you're brewing. Because otherwise, <laughs> you're going to get into the third quarter and go, hey, wait, aren't we doing something? The the other one, and I don't know when this became a thing, but so many answers were, oh, well, set up cornhole boards. Yeah, and everybody enjoys playing cornhole. Growing up as a kid, cornhole was not a thing I'd ever heard of. Cornhole was a Midwestern thing. Hey, I grew up in the Midwest, and I'd never heard of cornhole until a few years ago. Cornhole is everywhere. I, mean, I go around breweries down here in Southern California, and there's cornhole boards, and it's like, when did this become a thing? Okay, whatever. I would also say that, you know, there are other ways that you can do entertainment. And I know a lot of people like to have tunes on, you know, so get your music on. Just if you're having a lot of people around, like a lot of people that you don't know, don't go too weird and esoteric on your music. Just kind of keep it light and something that everybody can enjoy. Don't make it too loud. Uh, one thing I've discovered is that you need to be able to still talk to people. You need to be able to hear yourself think when you're brewing. So uh, don't go blasting nine-inch nails at 112 decibels. This seems like the opposite of if it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> yeah. And I think we have one last point that we have to cover. And I mean, this has pretty much been the brew day, right? You know, you get everything done. You get, get it cleaned. Everybody's happy. You're sharing beers. You're enjoying whatever food that you have left over. You're now successfully into the party mode. And it's a great day. But we know that the brew day does not end when the mash done is clean. The brew day does not end when the beer is in the fermenter, you know, in your fermentation fridge or everything else. I I think very, very strongly that one of the problems with a lot of what we do in terms of brew lessons is we focus so much on, you know, what the brew day is that we kind of forget that part of what attracts a lot of us to the brewing is the fascination of watching fermentation. Right. Hearing that plink, 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 getting to the point where you're so fermentation obsessed that you publicly label yourself on Internet forums as an airlock sniffer. (laughs) I got to say, man, I got over that fascination a long time ago. I know, but it's still when you're when you're a new brewer or when you're a new brewer, that's right. When you're when you're a relatively young, youngish brewer in terms of experience, fermentation is absolutely fascinating. Watching that airlock do its thing is half the magic, right? Because you know that something alchemical, transformational, and magical is happening, and you can see the evidence of it. So one of the things I like to argue in favor of, and it's probably not as practical for like a public, big public situation like Denny's doing, is if you have a small group of people who are dedicated to the brew, make sure they go home with some portion of the wort. Yeah, whether or not it's like, hey, you know, here's a here's a half gallon growler. 
you know, make it a half gallon batch or a gallon batch. I mean, hey, small batch brewing is a thing now, but it doesn't have to be small batch in the kettle, right? It can be small batch fermentation, but give them the equipment or help them get the equipment or encourage them to bring the equipment to be able to do a small amount of fermentation themselves at home. That way they can see that magic. They can hear that plink. They can, they can smell the yeast farts in the air. And I, I would argue to, at least in my mind, that that is actually a big part of what makes people get addicted to the idea of homebrewing. Now, obviously you have to come back to the other end of, okay, you either have to demonstrate to them how to actually finish the fermentation and get everything bottled and packaged and ready to drink, or you have to help offer to help them so that they can do the bottling, you know, at a later date. And then finally, here's one of the other things I think is absolutely key about this. If you do allow people to go away with their beer and ferment on their own, you can have another time when people get back together and everybody who had that same wort can taste the final beers and really truly understand what different magic fermentation makes. And that doesn't even have to be like with the idea of like, okay, you get wort one and I'm going to give you this yeast strain. You get wort two, I'm going to give you this yeast strain. It's not even multiple yeast strains. It's multiple fermentation environments. You know, just to get even that lesson across is something, again, that's a little magical. And I think actually will help cement more people into the idea of homebrewing. Now, again, like I said, that's probably a little more practical for a controlled brew situation, like what I'm doing either at my house or at my club's brewery attached to our shop. Right. But- it's still, if you can do this sort of thing, I argue it's one of the best ways that you can get people to go, oh, now I understand. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's a great idea for a group of people that you know and you know you're going to see again. Uh, I don't think that would work in our situation, but, you know, in your situation, it's a killer idea. Yep. So before we leave, Denny, do you have any other last-minute tips? You know, my only tip is to get out there and introduce people to the wonderful world of home brewing. how much fun it can be, how rewarding it can be when you make something for yourself and share it with your friends and see that smile spread across their faces. That's really the reason that we all homebrew, I think, well, <laughs> one of the big reasons, uh, you know, so make sure to just spread the beery love. And don't forget that the AHA's Learn to Homebrew Day, which is a perfect excuse to get your public brew on or your group brew on, is on November 4th, 2017. Just go to the AHA's website, which is homebrewersassociation.org, and look for the events link and register your site there at Learn to Homebrew Day and get in on the party. They like to measure how many gallons of beer are being brewed. They can help you with resources. They can help you publicize the event if you're going to make it public. But really, go go out there and, and have a blast and teach people how to homebrew. You'll be surprised. <laughs> That's right. Just brew it. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of, well, making your homebrew day a giant party. And we hope that you actually do party. And like we said, we hope that you take this opportunity or some opportunity at some point to go and introduce other brewers, whether it's you know people in the public or people in your homebrew club, go and introduce them to exactly how you brew and what it is that draws you to this hobby. Because I guarantee you the best way to draw somebody in, the best way to make somebody into a brewer is to share your passion. Okay, and maybe share some of your beer, too. That can't hurt. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, or topics like this one, which are kind of random and fun, you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. 
You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, on Slack, on just about every homebrew forum known out to mankind and some only known to tiny little mammals. So don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts or your streaming service of choice. Click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Axel's Angels and the Desi Strong Foundation. So... Until next time, remember to always brew wacky or brew experimentally and the brew is out there.